Okay, real quick before we get started, a um, couple announcements. Um, like I've said in the past, we're working on uh, getting to the, the church out into the park. I think uh, the 14th, we're going to be able to meet in the park. And I want to encourage you up until that time, get your hats ready, get your sunscreen ready, get your blankets ready, get some chairs ready, get your water ready, get whatever ready uh, you need to get ready so that when that day comes, you're going to be able to meet there with us and just worship the Lord in public. Boy, I tell you what, that's just the most beautiful thing is being outside worshiping the Lord where people can see us. It's such a witness. I love it. So I can't wait for it. Again, if you're not on the uh, list where you're getting email announcements, please go ahead and sign up on the website. Sign up um, through the church office. Give us a call. We'll get you, get you squared away. Come by, stop in, say hello, uh, get you on that list. Whatever it takes. We don't want you to miss out on, on meeting together. Uh, it's going to allow us to be socially distant and worship at the same time. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait. So... Hey, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll start the study. We're in Genesis chapter 7 today. So let's pray. Father God, we just uh, want to commit this time to you, Lord. We want to ask, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you'd encourage us, that you'd teach us, that you'd reveal yourself to us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, Lord. And God, let it have an effect on our heart, an eternal effect on our heart as we study your word, as we worship you through the study of the word, Lord. Would you bless this time? We give it to you now, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. My Bible's already open. I'll turn on my iPad. Get it going. Genesis chapter 7. So, you know, my heart and my prayer is that the Lord would be ministering to you through our time together, through the study of the Word, that, that uh, He'd be ministering to your heart, that you'd be hearing His voice, that you would be challenged through our times of study together, that you'd be challenged to go deeper in the Word. God, help us not to be just hearers of the word, but God help us to be doers of the word. You know, we want to be students of the word. Years ago, and for a long time, for many years, I used to attend a Bible study, and every, every week, the teacher, he would encourage you to write at the top of your notes, Acts 17, 11. Now, Acts 17, 11, it says this, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And what Paul is, uh, Luke is telling us in this verse here is that uh, Luke is comparing the people in Thessalonica, got a bug on my Bible, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he was bugging me. Anyway, <laughs> what, what Luke is saying here is he's comparing those people in Thessalonica with those people that are, were in Berea. And he says that those in Berea, they were more fair-minded. That's what it says in the New King's, New King James Version. The King James in the ESV says more noble. The NIV says they were of more noble character. And the New Living Translation, it says that they were more open-minded Compared to those in Thessalonica, the Bereans, when they heard what Paul had to say, they received what he had to say with gladness. But then they went out and searched the scriptures to make sure what the apostle Paul was preaching was true. And we need to be like that. You know, we need to search the scriptures to make sure those things that we're, we're learning, those things that we're hearing, that they're actually true. There are a lot of so-called teachers out there that they're espousing all kinds of nonsense and all kinds of strange doctrines today. They're just, they're just talking and teaching all kinds of outlandish things. And, uh, you know, they're teaching these crazy doctrines as if that's from the Bible, as if, you know, God's heart is saying this to us. 
And it's not true all the time. The Bible is our yardstick. The Bible is what we measure everything else against. We receive or reject what's being taught by others by laying it aside the Bible uh, against the Word of God. The Word of God is never going to contradict itself. The Word of God is never going to change. And so we need to be checking what people say, checking to see if it's true. And honestly, I, I encourage you, you need to be checking to see what I'm saying is true. And it's such a, it's such a good thing for both of us to be doing that. For me to be teaching what I think the Bible is saying and for you to be checking, it's loving. If I'm in error, it's a loving thing to come up and say, hey, Gary, you know what? What do you think about this? What about that? I mean, the Bible says this here. The Bible says that there. And so it's a good thing for us to be engaging in. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Make sure you're in the word. Make sure you're checking out what people are saying, that it's actually true, that, you're, that what you're learning is accurate, theologically speaking. Lots of people, they have lots of uh, different views. And you know what? Honestly, I don't care what they think. I just want to know what God has to say. That's my heart. So here we are in uh, Genesis chapter 7. And I want to remind you why this section of Genesis is important to us. Jesus, speaking about his return, what the condition of the world would be like when he returned for his church. He said in Matthew 24... 37 through 39, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of, of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. The world at the time when Jesus, is, when Jesus returns for his church, it's going to share the, the same characteristics that the world had during the time that the flood came upon the world in Noah's day. And they're mainly, they're these. We talked about uh, a few of these last week or so. Uh, there was a population explosion. Men began to multiply on the face of the earth. There was widespread sexual immorality and moral decay. There was widespread wickedness. The earth was marked with violence. It was filled with violence. And, and that was what marked the time of Noah. But there's also some other things, things that I didn't really mention last time. I'll mention them right now. We, we talked about in Genesis chapter 4 about industry and the arts, how they were just exploding, and they were exploding during Moses' time. And I think about today. You know, I think about the stock market. I mean, day after day, it's like a record high. I remember when the stock market, it was a big deal when it broke 10,000, when it broke 12,000. Now we're like, I don't even know, 24,000. It's just incredible how just uh, industry is just going at it. I think about streaming services, legal and illegal. You know, when I lived in Europe, I mean, there's lots of illegal streaming surface. There's lots of people selling illegal DVDs, their bootleg DVDs. And, um, you know, nowadays on the internet, you can get any kind of form of entertainment you want. You can get concerts, you can get, you know, plays, you can get movies, of course. And, uh, you know, the, the, the arts, the entertainment industry, it's a major part of our economy. And so that was one of the things that marked uh, Noah's days, the arts and the, the um, industry just exploding. There's also a searing of the conscious. There's no remorse. There's no um, you know, feeling of wrongdoing, no remorse of wrongdoing. You know, people murdered others. Oh, it's just, that's the way it is. Um, yeah. And a, a huge thing that marked Noah's day believers were in the minority. And boy, doesn't all these things, don't those seven things mark our generation today? I mean, it could be a description of our world and our society today. And just by way of reminder, before we get started, at the time of the flood, you know, which was God's judgment on the earth, we commented that there were three people present right before the flood. 
There were those that were going to perish in the flood. You know, that wicked generation that was going to perish in the flood. There were those that were going to be preserved through the flood, which the New Testament would indicate that that's the Jewish people going through that time, uh, seven-year period of tribulation. God's going to preserve them through that time. And then there was those that were taken out before the flood, Enoch. And you know, it's kind of funny because it um, caught my attention. I was listening to some guy and uh, you know what he said? It was, like I said, I thought it was funny. He said, you know what? Enoch, he wasn't post-Enoch. He wasn't mid-Enoch. He was pre-Enoch. And like I said, I thought it was funny, but it makes you think, you know what? Enoch was taken out prior to judgment. Enoch is, is a picture an Old Testament picture of the rapture of the church. Well, where we left off last week was Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. And it says that Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. You know, Noah built that ark. You remember we talked about it. He built that ark. He built it the way the Lord commanded him to. He built it to the exact dimensions and specification the Lord gave to him. 450 feet uh, long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. He built the ark with three decks just the way the Lord told him to do it. And, um, you know, I just think it's interesting. He builds this gigantic barge for the salvation of mankind and for the preservation of the animal kingdom. And despite the enormity of the task, he was obedient to it. You know, when God tells him to build this big boat, you know, he's, he's not thinking, well, you know, I've never built a boat before. You know, I mean, I, I don't know the first thing about boat building. He doesn't think about, you know, his inabilities or his lack of abilities he just sets out to do it. He trusted God knowing that if God asked him to do something, God's going to enable him to do uh, that thing. And that's important for us to, to understand and for us to grab hold of. Noah, he's told to build this ark. And what does he do? He just starts building the ark. You know, I bet you uh, Noah started the next day. I could just see him doing something like that. Noah was obedient to God's word. And obedience is a theme that just runs through the Bible. And it's a great study if you want to think about it. And what you'll find out, two mathematical equations here for you right now, if you want to write it down. Obedience equals blessings realized. Disobedience equals missed blessings. That's what we're going to learn as we look through the Bible and look at obedience. You know, it's a theme you can trust, uh, trace through the Bible. You know, in God's eyes, faith that is obedient is better than faith that will move mountains. We need to understand that. Noah was obedient to all that God asked him to do, all that God told him to do. And so we pick up in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, there's so much in this first verse. I mean, when I started preparing for the Bible study, um, you know, I thought, Gary, be careful. You know, there's, there's so much. You're not going to get past verse 1. So you need, you need to be careful or else you're going to be all night there in verse 1. Well, I wasn't careful. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to look at verse 1. But on the bright side, maybe just taking one verse at a time keeps me from going really long. So maybe, but don't count on it, okay? There's no promises, all right? The first thing I want us to notice is it says that, Then the Lord said to Noah, I want you to think through me. There's, there's going to be a lot of uh, thinking through and coming to conclusions in our time together today, okay? I want you to think through. The last time Noah hears from the Lord, the last time Noah hears the Lord speak to him, it's 120 years ago. And that's when the Lord told Noah to build the ark. And there's no record of the Lord speaking to Noah during that time. There's nothing that indicates to us that Noah hears anything from the Lord during that course of the 120 years. 
And you know, for the last 120 years, Noah's been dealing with people asking him, you know, just silly questions like, what the heck you doing, Noah? Building an ark. What's an ark, Noah? Uh, it's a big boat. What's, an, what's a boat, Noah? Well, it's something that floats. And God is going to cause it to rain and the waters are going to rise up and people are going to drown. But if you'll repent from your sins, there's room for you in the ark and you can be saved. What's rain, Noah? I mean, you know, they had no idea what Noah was talking about. Noah looked like an idiot to everybody around. He's, he's out in his backyard building his boat for 120 years. People were laughing at him. He never got invited to a party. If he got invited to a party, it was just so they could mock him and make fun of him. And it's all because of his witness for righteousness. Noah was a picture of perseverance in the face of an ungodly world. And he was obedient to the last command that he uh, had received from the Lord. He was obedient in everything. Even though people mocked him and laughed at him, he was obedient. And I wonder if some of us in the church, some of you aren't facing a similar situation. You know, maybe God spoke to you and it was very real. And, and uh, you sought to be obedient to the Lord. But maybe it's been some time since you've, you've heard the Lord's voice. And maybe people are laughing at you and they're making jokes about you. They're mocking you, you know, because of your stance for righteousness. And maybe you're thinking, Lord, did I hear from you right? You know, would you, would you mind speaking to me again so I can make sure that what I heard was actually what I heard? I mean, where are you, Lord? And you're not hearing from the Lord at all. And maybe you're thinking about throwing in the towel. It's been such a long time since you've heard the Lord. And I want to tell you today, don't do it. Don't give up. Noah is in the hall of faith, chapters 11, because of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, because of his obedience to the Lord. Obedience is the evidence of faith. Noah is an example of faith. He's an example of perseverance of trusting in the Lord and committing his ways to the Lord in the face of an evil and corrupt generation. And God is at work in Noah's life, just like he's at work in your life. Sometimes God doesn't speak to us because there's a much needed work that God wants to accomplish in our lives. And that's that he wants to help us grow in the area of patience. Uh-oh, now we're talking the P word, patience. You know, people are like, don't pray for patience because God will give it to you. You know, like, like God is some kind of evil, nasty, you know, mean, I'll get you, my pretty kind of God. Man, nothing could be further from the truth. God wants to teach me patience. If he wants to teach me patience, it's because I desperately am in need of patience. We can trust ourselves to the one who stretches out his nail-pierced hands towards us and says, can you just trust in me? Yes, we can trust in that one. We can trust in him because he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. We have nothing to fear from, from him who would lay down his life that we might be saved. Someone who is mean and nasty can't be trusted, but someone who's all loving and willing to take our sins upon himself and, and bear the penalty that our sins deserved, that's someone who's worthy of our trust. When God is silent, we must never be tempted to think it's because he's forgotten about us. You know, Isaiah 49:15 it's a verse that that I I just love. It says, "Can a woman forget his nur her nursing child?" Well, moms, tell us is that possible? Can you forget your nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? God gives concession. He says, "Well, surely they may forget. Maybe somebody someplace might forget. Some mom might have such a hard heart she might forget." 
Yet I will never forsake you, says the Lord. I mean, what a comforting verse. It's not that he's forgotten about us. He's at work in our life. Noah doesn't hear from the Lord for 120 years until he's done building the ark and it's time to enter into the ark. If you find yourself in a similar situation, you haven't heard from the Lord in, the while, in a while and you're just wondering what should you do, you know, just be obedient to that, that last command that, that you've received from the Lord, that last thing that he's told you. Just keep on doing it. And when the Lord's ready and you're at a place where you need the next set of instructions, then the Lord's going to speak to you again. You'll hear his voice again. Wait patiently on the Lord. Now, again, because I just think weird things, I often think about what it would be like if I could go to heaven right now and just interview somebody in heaven and ask them, hey, was waiting on the Lord worth it in the difficult situation you faced? You know, what do you think that they would have to say? I think that they would... They would just say to us, are you kidding me? I wish I would have waited on the Lord more. I wish I would have not gotten out in front of him. You know, they would tell us, be obedient. Wait on the Lord. Don't be in a rush. The Lord will never let you down. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to fail you. He is faithful. He's more than faithful. You know, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, He's spoken to us in this area and he encourages us saying, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Uh, Psalm 27, 14. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he encourages us by saying, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, Isaiah 40, 31. Well, we read the next thing we read is, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Come into the ark of salvation. And here, this is where we want to study, okay? Because I think that NIV and the ESV version of the Bible, I think they interpret this passage improperly. The New King James and the King James Version interprets this Hebrew word, uh, bow. They interpret it, come, okay? The Hebrew word is found in the Bible 2,579 times. More than half the time, 1,439 times, that word is translated, come. Only 123 times is that word translated, go. Well, Gary, I mean, you're making a big deal about, you know, nothing. What difference does it make if it's translated come or go, right? I think it makes all the difference in the world. When you get familiar with the Word of God, when you get familiar with God, you hear Him all the time inviting people to come into His presence, right? I was thinking this morning of inviting people to my house, you know, uh, I invited Rhea last week to, to my house. And, uh, you know, I want people to come. I love people to come. I love people hanging out. And when I invite somebody, it's an open invitation. Come. You're welcome. Come to my house anytime. And the word here, come, that invitation, it's a gentle and it's a gracious invitation. Come, Noah. Come. If you do a brief word study, and I, I think it's of great value, but if you do a brief word study, uh, you, this is what you'll find. We're going to do a little brief word study right now. So I hope you have your Bibles ready. Hope you got your notepads ready. Uh, here we go. God speaks to those who don't know him. Isaiah 1.18. Maybe you can quote the verse. Isaiah 1.18. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is an invitation to those that don't know the Lord to come to him, to sit with him, to talk things over with him, to reason things out with him, to hash it out with him. 
and to find out where he's at in regards to your sin and what he's willing to do for you in regards to your sin. Remember when the two disciples of John the Baptist, John chapter one, they, they hear uh, John speaking of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And we're told that uh, after they heard that, we're told that they followed Jesus. And you can look at it, John chapter one, it's right around verse, I don't know, 36, 37, 38. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, right around 38, 36, John says, hey, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, verse 37, were told that they follow Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, verse 38 says, Jesus turned and seeing them following them said, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? I just find it so funny. They were curious about Jesus. They didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't know much about Jesus. And when Jesus asked them, what do you think? It's like they were caught off guard. You know what? It's like they didn't know what to say. They say, oh, uh, um, uh, where are you staying? (laughs) You know, (laughs) what does Jesus say to him? To them, he says, verse 39, come, come and see. You know, it's an invitation to spend close personal time with Jesus, to get to know him, to know what he's all about. Jesus announces to the crowd that day, Matthew 11, you know the verse, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says to the crowd that day, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, he's speaking this. He's saying this to very religious people, people who are trying hard to keep the law and and to in the, trying to keep the law in their own strength and try to gain some standing of righteousness. And maybe you're trying to find righteousness in your own strength. And maybe the result of that is just you're just exhausted now. Jesus, he invites you to come to him. He invites you to come to him and, and let him give you rest. Maybe you're not trying. Maybe you're a Christian and you're not trying to gain some status of righteousness with God. You understand that's not right. You know, but maybe you're under the impression, as many Christians are, that you just need to be good and, and the, the gooder you are, the more God's going to like you. You know, there's a lot of Christians that they're just under that impression. So you know what they're doing is they're, they're You know, if I'm reading more, if I'm praying more, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, loving more, a lot of Christians think that for every time they, if they just do more, they get a little gold star and they put it up on the refrigerator and the, the, the more gold stars, the more God likes you. And you know what? Maybe you're trying to win God's approval. It's very subtle for Christians. A lot of Christians do this. They try to win God's approval. So what do they do there? They're trying to read the Bible. They're trying to pray. They're trying to do all the things that Christians are supposed to do. They're trying to be good husbands. They're trying to be good wives. You know, they're trying to be good neighbors. And what you find is that you're just trying, 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 and you're exhausted by the effort. Going to church reading your Bible, spending time in prayer with the Lord. It's no longer a get to, it's I have to, it's this burden. And you know what? Jesus would invite you to come and receive rest for your soul. When Jesus talks about his yoke, he's using an example that doesn't need to be, excuse me, bugs crawling up my legs. I'm in the wrong spot today, I don't know. Anyway, when Jesus uses this example, I guess there's bugs in the forest. Rhea, how come you never told me? You know, 
I'm a city boy. I'm just kidding. Anyway, forgive the interruption. You know, you got to be a magician to keep my attention longer than a minute. So uh, anyway, when Jesus, he's talking about the yoke, he's using an, exa- an, he's using an example that doesn't need to be explained to anybody that's there, right? A yoke was to be put on a uh, team of oxen. And that's the example that he's pointing to, this team of oxen that they're yoked together, you know? And you, you would uh, make this yoke for these oxen and that they would pull this burden, they would do this work together. And Jesus is saying, you know what? If you would team up with me, if you would take my yoke upon you, you know, I've already done the heavy lifting. You don't have to pull your own righteousness. I've already done it for you. And he's speaking this very thing to us today, church. This is God's heart for us. If we're trying to pull the weight of our own righteousness, you know what? If we're trying to find favor with God, he would say, stop. You don't have to find favor with God. You have favor with God in Christ Jesus. I think about Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Flip over there real quick. Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's an invitation for children to come to him. Don't forbid them. Jesus loved kids. Kids love Jesus. And Jesus wants everyone, including children, to experience salvation, to find salvation. Jesus' heart was for kids. And when they came to him, it pleased him to bless them. And it blessed him to bless them. And we need to encourage our kids to run to Jesus. You know, I don't care how old your kids are. If your kids are babies, then you need to scoop them up in your arms and carry them to Jesus. If your kids are older, maybe they're young adults, we need to encourage them, maybe even walk with them to get to Jesus. You know, we need to encourage our kids to come to Jesus and receive blessing. Flip over to John chapter 5 real quick. John chapter 5. Verse 39 and 40. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The Bible, in its entirety, speaks to us and points us to Jesus. The Bible is a record of all that he's done for us that we might receive eternal life. In verse 40, Jesus goes on to say, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is broken over those that would reject him, that would reject the offer of salvation, reject the invitation to just come to him. That breaks our Savior's heart and it breaks his heart when people just don't want to have anything to do with coming to him. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Here Jesus' invitation is to come to him and experience total, complete satisfaction and fulfillment. You know, Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. The world will promise satisfaction and fulfillment, but it's only Jesus that can deliver on that promise. He alone can satisfy the deepest longings in our hearts, the the greatest emptiness in our heart. He alone is the answer to satisfy those longings, those needs in our heart. But we need to come to him. John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. Here we see that salvation, it's a, 
It's a work, a sovereign work of God. It's God who draws us to Jesus. You know, when people say, you know, hey, I found Jesus. You know, that's not completely accurate. Number one, uh, Jesus wasn't lost. You were lost. And he didn't need finding. You didn't find him. He found you. It's a sovereign work of God, this, this work of salvation. And there are people, they'll say, well, hey, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair for God to choose some to come to Jesus, you know? I mean, is that what Jesus is really saying, that God just, he's, he's the one? Well, yeah. I mean, look at it. You tell me what it says. It would seem that that's what Jesus is saying. It's the Father that draws us to him. It's the Spirit that works in our, in our hearts to come to Jesus. Well, people say, well, heck, that's not fair at all. I'll say, okay. Let's, let's read another verse. Look at John 6, 37. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. You know, God's sovereignty in salvation right there. All that the Father gives me comes to me. But let's read on. It says, all that the, the Father, um, there we are. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no means cast out. Man, God's sovereignty is at work, but man's responsibility is part of salvation. God works on our hearts and chooses us sovereignly, but you need to choose to come. You need to choose to respond, to come to Jesus for salvation. If you'll just come to Jesus, he will receive you, it says. He won't reject you. He's not going to turn you away. He'll receive you, he'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll offer you eternal life. Some people don't like this. They'll argue, no, no, no. Salvation is completely the work of God. Predestination and election, it's entirely and completely God's sovereignty in action. Really? Okay. Why don't we flip over to Revelation chapter 22? Look at this verse. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. I think it's the second to the last verse. No, there's a couple of verses. There's four or five verses to the end. Revelation 22, 17. What does it say? And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. Boy, you know what? It's the Father's heart to extend an invitation for all of us to come into the ark of salvation. It's Jesus's heart to anyone who's empty, to anyone who's needy to come to him and receive strength to obtain, um, you know, who are, no, I'm sorry. It's his heart for anyone who's trying their own strength to obtain righteousness, to come and let him just give you rest. Jesus says, come. The Father says, come. It's Jesus' heart to, to have you stop from just, you know, your own striving to gain righteousness. Just come and just enjoy the righteousness. And here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it's the Spirit's heart offering this invitation to come to Jesus, to drink of the waters, of living waters, deeply and freely. The reference, by the way, in verse 17 to the bride, says in the Spirit and the bride says come. The reference to the bride there is a reference to the church. If you're not a believer today and you're listening to me, you know what? Our church, our heart is to invite you to come to Jesus, to learn of him, come to receive forgiveness of your sins, to come and let him fill you to overflowing with, with the, the rivers of living water so that you'll never thirst again. There's, there's so much to glean from just this, this study 
uh, of this invitation to come. Maybe this week you want to go a little bit deeper. I encourage you. There's so much more. Go deeper. Get in your Bible concordance and just look up, come, and see what you'll discover, right? This invitation to come to Jesus. It's so great. It's so wonderful. Well, what does it, what difference does it make if the word is translated come or go? Well, again, I think it makes all the difference in the world. Just think about it for a second, right? Where is God when he invites Noah to come into the ark? Think about it. Where is God when he invites Noah to come into the ark? Well, the indication would be that he's in the ark. God is in the ark when he gives this invitation to Noah to bring himself and his family into the ark to be saved. And this is important to understand. Maybe you're going through storms in your life today. Maybe there are some dark clouds, and I mean seriously dark clouds on the horizon right now. Maybe you're feeling tossed about, you're unsettled, um, unsure, not knowing what to do because of these storms that are going on in your life. Maybe you're experiencing rough seas. Maybe, you know, you can't get your bearings right now. Well, you know what? God's in the boat with you. Be encouraged. Jesus is in the boat with you. I love Isaiah 41.10. This is a favorite verse of mine too. It just says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you know what the most often recorded uh, phrase or saying of Jesus is in the New Testament? It's do not be afraid. It's fear not. And honestly, I'll I'll just tell you, (laughs) I didn't know what the word dismayed means. So on my library, I just pulled out my Webster Dictionary from 1828, and I looked it up. Dismayed, it means to be disheartened. It means to be devoid of courage. When we come to God, He promises us His presence. He wants us to be encouraged. He doesn't want you to to be uh, afraid. He doesn't want you to fear because he's with us. He promises to be your God. And in regards to those who exercise faith in Jesus, Hebrews 11, 16 says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed to be associated with us. He's not ashamed that we tell other people that he's our God. In fact, I think the Bible would teach us that he takes joy in that, that he's blessed by that. When we, when we are in a loving relationship with him and we tell other people that, man, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, the, the one true living God, he's my God, that blesses God. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be dismayed because he promises to give us strength. He promises to strengthen us. And I tell you what, man, I don't know about you, but Lord, how I need your strength to face the day sometimes. Man, when I wake up, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, Lord, help, because I'm, I'm in need. It's so overwhelming, the things that I face sometimes. I just cry out to the Lord. And you know what his promise is to us? Isaiah, uh, sorry, Psalm 46, 1. The psalmist tells us, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. You know, Father God, how I need your help. And if that wasn't enough, he promises to uphold us in and through the storms of life. You know, our our daughter, our son-in-law, our daughter sent us a video of our grandson, Noah, just the other day. And I'm telling you, man, you know what? That little kid is so ridiculously cute. I mean, I think he probably takes after his grandpa. Um, His grandpa on the West Coast. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Anyway, You know what they do is they live near Seattle, and as you know, it rains a lot there in Seattle. 
And uh, so what do they do? Uh, they, they, um, they put Noah's wellies on them. I don't know. Do you know what wellies are? Yeah, okay, it's a rain boot. Yeah, it's a British English for rain boot, right? They put Noah's uh, wellies on them. They get them all suited up for rain. And then they go out for walks in the rain. And they just let Noah just walk through the puddles. I mean, it's so, it's so cute. Well, in this video, Noah's in the middle of this one puddle. And all of a sudden, there's just this loud clap of thunder. And Noah, he gets this real concerned look on his face. His eyes get really big, and he just freezes. You know, and our daughter, Ashley, I mean, she, she tries to reassure, reassure him that everything's okay. She says to him, hey, it's okay. It's not going to hurt you. You're all right. You know, it, it's, it can't hurt you. Jesus made that. But you know what? Noah, he's frozen. He's not moving. You know, you can just see that he's trying to process through what's going on. He's not sure of what's going on. He's a little bit worried, but he's mostly unsure. He's frozen in fear. I mean, have you ever felt like that? I mean, have you ever just been frozen in fear? Just not knowing what to do, what's going on? Well, in the video, all of a sudden, Noah's, <laughs> he's there, like I say, his eyes are big. He's just not moving. And all of a sudden, his hands go up. And he says to my daughter, Noah, up, all right? And uh, it's so precious, so precious. He needed his mom to hold him in her arms during the storm. He knew that if he was in his mom's arms, everything's going to be okay. God promises to uphold us with his righteous right arm. When we cry out to him in the storm, he's going to answer. Isaiah 40 verse 11 I love the description of our Savior. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom. I mean, that's our God. Strong and gentle, loving and caring. Jesus is in the boat with us during the storms of life. Whatever thunder is frightening you, you know, you don't have to be afraid because God is in the boat with you. God invites Noah, not my Noah, the biblical Noah, right? God invites Noah to come into the ark of salvation to be safe. But you know what? He invites my Noah to come to him into that ark of salvation and be safe. It says, Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. And it's such a gentle, gracious call to come into the ark of salvation and be safe from the judgment to come. Well, the next thing that we want to notice is God says, come into the ark, you and your household. You know, we've talked about this before, so we won't spend a lot of time on it, but we need to notice that God's heart is for families to come to him. You know, we've talked about Acts 16 before, uh, the Philippian jailer, where he, he asked Paul, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says to him, Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, Paul's not telling the Philippian jailer that, you know, if you believe in your in Jesus as your Savior, then your faith will transfer to your family and they'll be good to go too. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is God's heart is not only for you to be saved, but you're saving faith to have an influence on your family. Our families can be the hardest people to reach because they know what kind of a mess we were before Jesus. So, you know what they're going to do is they're going to just wait and they're going to watch. And in time, when they see that this is this Jesus thing in your life is real, when they see you clinging to Jesus during hard times and trusting he's in the boat with you, trusting that he's that refuge for you during the storms of life, it's then that they're going to realize, well, maybe there's something to this Jesus. You know, our family sometimes need to see the change in us before they're willing to come to the Lord. So I want to encourage you, encourage you today. If you have unbelieving members in your family, you know what? Keep praying for them. 
Don't give up on them. God is at work. You know, October 31st, 2014, I got to share Jesus with my dad. And that was the last day my dad was able to speak. Of course, when I was sharing Christ with him, I didn't know that that was the last day. But that was the last day my dad was able to speak. And he told me that he wanted to pray and and ask God to forgive him of his sins. So I called Tina over and we prayed for my dad and, and he received Christ. And it was that was the last day not only my dad was able to speak, but my dad was never conscious again. He's never out of bed again. And three weeks later, he died. And after I did my dad's funeral, I heard the Lord speak to my heart. And he said, Gary, all those prayers you prayed over the years for your dad, they weren't wasted. I heard every one of them. And I, honestly, it broke my heart. You know, I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because many times I thought my dad will never listen. This is a waste of time. He's never coming to the Lord. But I want to encourage you today, if you have unsaved family members, don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Be encouraged. Be bold. You know, take a step of faith and just come right out and ask him, what's holding you back? Why aren't you coming to the Lord? He loves you. He wants to forgive you. Just be bold and see what they have to say because God's working. God hears those prayers that you're praying for them. Well, to go on, we read, God says to Noah, I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah was righteous. Again, it doesn't mean sinless. It means that he was upright. He was a man of integrity. Nobody could level an accusation at him. He was blameless. Noah's heart was to be this man of integrity, to be obedient, to walk uprightly before the Lord, to be faithful to all that the Lord commands him to do, to be faithful to do it. And you know what? It doesn't go unnoticed when that's our heart. God sees, and he sees your heart. You know, I I love the story of David. It's one of the the stories that I just cherish in my heart because David was a man of great faith. I mean, just think of the story of David and Goliath. You know what? There's there's a missed phrase in that story that I want to point your attention to. What it says is, David ran to Goliath. You know what? I bet you David, I mean, uh, Goliath never in his life ever saw anybody run to him to do battle with him. Probably like, what's, this kid's crazy. What's going on? David was a man of great victories, great faith. And yet David was also a man of colossal failures. You know, he engaged in that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Afterwards, he plans the murder of her wife, who Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men. He faithfully served David for years. He was a terrible father. David was a terrible father. I mean, you read in David's story, uh, it says that he never said no to his kids. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the things with Absalom occurred. He never corrected his kids. He was just, just, (laughs) he was bad in the area of parenting. He was just bad. You know, David, towards the end of his life, he's filled with pride and he numbers the nation of Israel. And it was a great sin. And as a result, God sent a plague that killed 70,000 men, all because of David's failures. But the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's heart. And you know, how is it even possible Well, we get a glimpse of the answer in 1 Kings 8, 18. And it's when Solomon is dedicating the temple. He talks about how David, his father, wanted to build a temple, but David wasn't able to build a temple because he was a a man of war. And there Solomon says, 1 Kings 8, 18, he says, But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, 
you did well in that it was in your heart. Again, God sees our heart. David's heart was to walk with God, to know God, to worship God, to be obedient to God, to exercise faith in God, to encourage other people to uh, worship and exalt God. You know, that was David's heart. And yet he failed so miserably in his life. And you know what? The encouragement is this. Gary, you're prone to failure. I, I am prone to failure. The things I want to do are the things I don't do. And the very things that I want to do, I don't do them. The very things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do do. And you know what? It's a mess. But God sees my heart. He's not looking for an excuse to reject me or to, to cast me off, to discard me. No. He invites me to come to him. He sees, he knows, nothing is hidden from his sight. He invites me to come. And it's ever so gentle, an invitation. It's ever so loving, an invitation. It's ever so gracious, an invitation. He invites me to come. And most of all, it's ever so amazing of an invitation that that the one true creator, the the creator of the heavens and the earth would desire to have a relationship with someone like me. Someone like you. Won't you just run to him today? You know, I don't care if you've, you've been a Christian 30, 40, 50 years. He invites you to run to him today. You know, I don't know, I don't know if you're a young man or a young woman listening to me right now. If you're a high schooler or a middle schooler. Man, the Lord's invitation to you is to come to him, to run to him today. You know, if you don't know Jesus at all, maybe you're in the middle of some storm of life and you're experiencing, you know, something that's a little bit overwhelming. You know, there's a deep emptiness in your heart, a longing in your heart for some reason to exist, some reason to go on, something meaningful in life. You know what? Jesus would ask you to come to him today. He would encourage you to cry out to him today. Maybe you feel like you're going down and this is the last time. You know what? Reach out your hand to him today and say, Lord, help. And the Bible says he'll immediately respond. Jesus wants to get into your boat with you today. And he invites you to come. And you know what? If you don't know the Lord today, we as a church invite you to come. To come to find Jesus. To come to have your sins forgiven. To come experience newness of life and eternal life. You know what? Come and be made a new creation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. It was my intent, as you know, Lord, to get through this entire chapter, but Lord, there's so much in just this verse one. Lord, the invitation to come, it extends to seasoned believers, to new believers, and to unbelievers. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that invitation to come. Lord, would you move on our hearts? Would you just help us to humble ourselves and just run to you even now, Lord? just to experience you, just to sit at your feet, just to hear you say, I love you, just to experience your touch. Lord, would you minister to our hearts right now, Lord, for those seasoned saints that have been walking with you for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, Lord, would you fill them afresh with your spirit? For those young adults that the pull of the world is just so strong on their life right now. Lord, would you encourage them to come to you and experience true life, real life. God, and for those that don't know you right now, Lord, would you minister to their hearts? Lord, would you help them to just have the courage to respond to that tug that's on their heart? That's the spirit working on them. 
encouraging them to come. And God, would you help them to surrender to that battle? There's, I remember that battle raging when I wasn't a believer. I wanted to come, but I couldn't come. Lord, what if you didn't receive me? And if that's you right now, I want to encourage you. That's not the case. He promises to receive you. If you'll come, he'll meet you. In fact, he'll run to you. Would you come? Would you come to him and ask you, ask him to forgive you of your sins? Well, I just thank you for your word, God. And I thank you for your heart to invite us to come into your presence, to learn of you, to get to know you, to be strengthened by you, to be encouraged by you. Lord, to fear not because you're our God. Lord, work these truths in our life. Lord, I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm so looking forward to where we can meet after a Bible study and I can shake your hand, give you a hug, pray for you. Till then, I'm praying for you now. Uh, mark on your calendar. Pretty sure it's going to be the 14th, June 14th. That's a Sunday. June 14th. We're planning on Meadows Park, but we'll get the final details out to you. Uh, but get everything ready for us to meet together and study the word together. God bless you. I love you, Calvary Chapel uh, Church family. And I'm praying for you. Can't wait to meet you in person, really. Can't wait. God bless.